to be blessed. Okay, well, let's dive in this morning. We have been talking family resolutions, okay? So those of you who have not been here, let me catch you up. Family, There's a difference between personal resolutions because they're personal. They're all about you, right? You make resolutions to get in shape, to lose weight, to spend more time with family, and it's really kind of all about you. But family resolutions, we said, are Christ-centered and doing what is best for the person that we're in relationship with, right? They're Christ-centered. Paul said, I resolve to know nothing among you except Christ crucified so that your faith would not rest on my words but on the power of Jesus. And so if you've ever read Corinthians, you know that God was doing amazing and powerful things in Corinth. And so he's saying, I don't want you, your faith to rest on me. So I've, I've resolved, I made a family resolution, a Christ and resolution about what's not best for me, but what is best for you. So the last few weeks we've been talking about in the context of marriage, of saying, hey, we making these resolutions about what's best for my spouse in a Christ-centered way. And so this morning we're going to continue on in that journey of talking about these family resolutions. And we said last week, this resolution that we want to step into, that we are living these positive lives where affirmation is flowing. Now, with that in mind, I want you to think about Dwight D. Eisenhower. A lot of you know he was the 34th president of the United States of America. And there was a story told in a book called To Own a Dragon by Donald Miller, where he recollects this interview done with Eisenhower. In the interview, this guy comes to him, or lady comes to him and says, all right, tell us, what stirs in a person that you would actually have aspirations to become the leader, basically, of the free world, right? Like, something has to be stirring in a human being to say, yes, I want to be the leader of the free world. I'll be the president of the United States of America. And he, he relayed this story. He said, listen, he said, growing up, my parents told us every day that if every child in the world would aspire to become and would move into the calling and the purpose that was on their life, that the world would change. He says, so I just lived every day thinking that the world couldn't make it without me. Now, this wasn't narcissistic in view. It was like, no, I recognized I had a call on my life. And so in that call, I recognized I need to do my part. I saw the presidency. I said, well, I can probably make the best and the most difference from that platform. So I believed my parents. I believed this 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 affirmation that they had given us as children throughout life. And so I just went after it. And I love that picture because we talked last week about, hey, this idea of living lives of positivity that lead to affirmation rather than the context of our relationship with our spouse, rather than negativity leading to criticism. Because something is we all understand intuitively, affirmation is going to build better than criticism. Like, go home right now and just start criticizing your spouse and see where that gets you. It gets you nowhere. I'm just saying. I've never experienced that, right? No. But you've got this whole idea of going on that positivity leading to affirmation. But we said last week that positivity is not just positivity for positivity's sake. That positivity finds its source in the context of Christ's lordship. Romans chapter 8 
You all know it. Verse 28 says, tells us that in all things, God works for the good of those who've been called according to his purpose. That in all things, all things, good things, indifferent things, and negative things, God works for the good of those who've been called according to his purpose. And we talked about the context, the surrounding verses that define what that verse is all about. Talks about suffering. Talks about creation crying out and groaning because of difficulty in life, right? And so the idea of good, God working good for those who've been called according to his purpose is in the context of suffering, the context of difficulty, in the context of hardship, in the context of life. And so we said that positivity isn't just positivity for, for the sake of positivity. No, it's saying We believe and trust in the lordship of Jesus in the midst of good, in the midst of indifferent, in the midst of difficulty and hardship, that he is good, that he is God, and that he is Lord, and that in all of these things, we can be positive. Why? Because he's on his throne. Because he is Lord. He is in control, even in the midst of suffering. In the midst of hardship. And so in that, positivity finds its source in the lordship of Jesus. And so we sang this great song earlier. We talked about Jesus being the chief cornerstone. You know, and some people have their hands raised and they're moving and they're feeling, they're feeling the song. And I just wonder if you actually believed it. Right? It's like in the midst of difficulty and hardship. Because listen... The lordship of Jesus is really easy when things are going well. It's like, oh, God, you're such a good God. You're Lord. You gave me this parking place right here in the front of my restaurant. You're so good. I mean, it's so easy to trust God's lordship in the moment of easy things. The test of lordship is in the midst of difficulties and hardships. Positivity and affirmation is difficult in those moments. But we said in the context of family resolutions... God being a good God who's never negative and who never criticizes, but he's always positive because he's Lord and always lives in the context of affirming those whom he loves, that we then follow suit. And we do that in our primary relationships that we classify as priority. Listen, if y'all missed it, I gave you a list of priorities so let me just kind of let me just kind of run through it with you real quick to make sure that your actions and your actions actually match up with what you want your priority to be. Do you, that you really want is Jesus first. Is is your spouse if you're married second? Then is your are your children third? And then listen, is your church family slash extended family next? And then way down the list, does your job come down here? What gets the best of your time and the best of your energies are priorities. And so in the context of our life, I would say then, this is the word I feel like God's been speaking even this week, that in the context of positivity and affirmation, what we have then is incredible influence. Like, I don't know if you think about it, but human beings have unbelievable influence in every relationship that we are in every day. Like, we have it, obviously, in the context of our spouse, in the context of our children, 
But I don't know if you've ever been around people who truly exude a love for Jesus, a positivity leading to affirmation, just in the random place of every day. But do you know what happens when random people are positive and show affirmation? Others are drawn to them. And so I've literally been in moments, whether it's in like the, the drive through at McDonald's or in the, the, the checkout line at Publix, and I'm sitting here talking to somebody, right? And, and, I, and I'm just really aware of God's presence, and I'm God-centered in my thinking and my life, and, and I'm really intentional with my conversation. I just begin to exude positivity, right? Exude the love of Jesus, begin to affirm in the moment. And what do they want to do? They just want to stop and start talking. Why? Because they just feel drawn. Why do they feel drawn? Because there's something going on in the context of, my life, what the, I'm exuding what I'm presenting in the moment, right? Positivity and affirmation. And so in that moment, what happens? I have influence. And so I wonder if you think about the level of influence because you have it every day. You have an influence with your spouse and your children. That's great. We all know that. But do you think about it in the context of your coworkers, the context of your neighbors, literally the pizza guy or girl who comes to your door and how do you relate to them? And do they want to leave because they think you're weird or because you're affirming them, right? Like what, what do you exude? What comes from you in the moment? And I would say in this, these family resolutions, this idea of positivity, affirmation, because it's what Jesus exuded. Why did every worst sinner of all sinners just long to be with Jesus? Sinners were drawn to Jesus because he exuded honestly positivity with affirmation. They wanted to be near him in the midst of their sin of sins. Do we exude the same thing? Because we have influence and we can. And so as we talk about family resolutions this morning, I want us to think about it in the context of of being an influencer, because the reality, I want you to pay attention. You can exude positivity and you can influence negatively. We call that peer pressure. We call it temptation. We can influence people negatively all day long. And we said last week that when we influence negatively in the context of any relationship, that relationship is in the process of dying. Why? Because God didn't design us in chapter 1, chapter 2 of Genesis to be negative. That was an outgrowth of sin. And so the context for us is we are not made to live in negativity and criticism because we weren't designed that way. But how many of our marriages and our relationship with our children and our parents and with our teachers and our friends revolve around? Because why? It's easier to fall into that than it is to choose the lordship of Jesus, positivity, and affirmation. In our lives, we can either build up or tear down because our words have that type of power. This morning, we want to focus on the context of these relationships. We've been talking about our marriage relationships. This morning, we're going to shift and talk uh, about our relationship with our children. I don't want you to check out because what I want you to recognize is this, and the context is important. In the context of a Jewish family, you had mom and dad, you had children, you had extended family, and then you had servants. And all of those represented the clan, right, represented the family. And so the idea is that even in that little clan right here, each everybody was part of the same thing, whether, whether they were blood or not. They had influence in the context of children's lives and one another's lives in the context of everything that they were doing. And so as we talk about children today, you're like, oh, I don't have any children. This is not relevant to me. No, it absolutely is. Why? Because you've been called to make disciples and invest into the younger generation, every single one of us. And so as I talk about this, do not tune out. Don't miss what God has to say 
in the moment. And so in this reality, we want to choose positivity. We want to, to lead with affirmation for the purpose of influencing our spouse and our children, everyone around us to live a God-centered life. So what I want to do is, this morning is return back to the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 7. Have your Bibles, you can turn there. And I want you to recognize this, this verse 4 and 5, it literally is the center of the entire Jewish faith. We're going to read it this morning and then dive into the responsibility that we have to influence in this way in our marriages, with our children, everybody else that we're around. It says this, Hear, O Israel, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today, they shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. So the first thing we see here says, if you if you if you remember the idea of the Shema, verses four and five, we said this. It became a prayer. The writer of Deuteronomy put this in here and it became a prayer because the idea is that. At least, at least twice a day, we know in the morning, we know in the evening, but probably sometime during the day, they would literally stop and they would quote the Shema as a prayer. The purpose of the prayer was to center people on God. Why? Because like you, like you, every day, there were other lovers, other idols, other influences, what? Trying to steal us away from our God-centered life. Like, you may not know exactly what I mean when I say God-centered life, but you at least intuitively have a grasp of a little bit of understanding what I mean by that. That literally, that everything I'm doing runs through the, everything I say, everything I do, runs through the filter of Jesus Christ is a loving Lord of my life. He's in charge of everything, so I want to follow him and obey him. Right? Because he loves me, and then I love him with all of my heart, all of my soul, and all of my mind. So a God-centered life, everything focused on Jesus, right? Not because he's condemning me, not because he thinks I'm a terrible person. No, because he just, as a good dad, thinks I'm awesome. And he's positive in his affirmation towards me to build me up and say, I put you on earth for this season, and the earth needs you. Because it needs me, and I'm in you, and so they get me through you, right? You're tracking with that? And so the idea is it's an affirming, loving father who is affirming, who's speaking life. Yes, he convicts me of sin because he loves me too much to leave me in it, right? But ultimately, he says, I want to give you my fruit, love, joy, peace, patience. This is what exudes from me when I'm in relationship with you. And so in this, right? Every day they pray this prayer. Why? Because there are other lovers, other idols, other stuff trying to influence and pull away. What is it for you? Like, honestly, what's the thing that dictates your thinking? Is it Jesus or is it work? What gets the best of your time, the best of your energies, Jesus or something else? And the idea is the Shema is a center say nothing else trumps Jesus. He's number one in my life. Hear, O Israel. Listen and remember there are other gods, little G's, right? Other idols and influences, but they all bow to Jesus. And we shall love him because he loves us. Eddie Betozer says it well, kind of the heart of the Shema. He says, we are called to an 
everlasting preoccupation with God. Are you preoccupied with God? Do you, go, do you go hunting and thinking about Jesus? Do you go fishing and think about Jesus? Do you go to the mall and go shopping and think about Jesus, right? Do you go to work and you think about Jesus? Do you, do you go on vacation and you think about Jesus, right? Is it literally in the joy of a loving father affirming us? We must, in the context of our relationships, allow ourselves to embrace the Shema so that we can then lead others to it and influence them with it. So let's dive into our response and responsibility, which we find in verse 6 and 7 after the Shema. It says in verse, so let's just go through these. We're going to kind of go through phrase by phrase and kind of break these down. It says in verse 6, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So the first part here says, And these words that I command you today. So the writer has just laid out, listen, this isn't true, the, mo- the two most important verses in all of Scripture. The entire Jewish faith was based on these two verses. And then Jesus himself, when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He basically says the Shema. You shall love the Lord your God by your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. He alludes back to the Shema. So Jesus quoted it, right? So it speaks to being focused on or preoccupied with God and our allegiance and our commitment to him. That's what it's talking about. These words I command you today. As we think about influencing our priority relationships, we must find ourselves starting with and launching from our preoccupation and allegiance to Jesus. And here's the point. If you don't start there at the source of life, the source of positivity and affirmation, then we will not succeed in influencing any relationships that we're in. If we don't have something deep to influence with, then we cannot truly influence. These words I command, he's saying these must be in you. They must invade every part of your being. Ask yourself in the stillness of this moment without guilt and condemnation leading you, but how preoccupied are you with Jesus? I don't mean that in a guilt. I mean like how preoccupied are you with the love of Jesus for you? How preoccupied are you with the cross of his sacrifice conquering hell, redeeming you, breaking chains of darkness off of you to set you free because he was passionately engaging in love for you. It's like, does this preoccupy your thoughts so that when you're at work, you're like, man, that guy just let me have it, cussed me up and down because I did not do what he wanted me to do. But man, God is good and he loves me. Mm, God, give me grace because I want to choke them to death. But I can influence them positively and affirm them in the moment. God goes on and talks about the idea of today. The word today speaks not just to the day it was written, but alludes to the everyday nature of the command. The idea is that we, listen, they would wake up every day. In essence, they would pray this prayer to remind themselves every day that the command of the Shema is living, active, and breathing today. That he is one, he is Lord, he loves us, and we love him in return. 
It's not something that's just yesterday. It is every day. So that when we begin to influence, we're influencing, we're affirming, we're positive in the context of our expression with those we're in our priority relationships with because God is so near, he is so present. And because once again, I'm aware, he is Lord, he is good, he is king, he is loving, he is in love with me. Verse, go on to verse 6, it says, these commands shall be on your heart. These commands shall be on your heart. The commands must first be in our hearts before we can share them or truly express them with anyone or any else. Anyone else, that's the idea, right? You can't give away something that you don't possess yourself. And so the context of this is this shall be on your heart. And the idea is in the Old Testament psychology, the heart wasn't the place of your feelings or your emotions. The heart represented your mind and your thinking, your thought process. And so the writer's coming in the moment, not talking about, should be on your heart. You should feel all warm and fuzzy with the feelings of God's love for you, right? No, he's talking about this should always be in your thinking, should define your thought life, everything that's going on. It should be constant, your mental thoughts, your mental reflections. It should define the foundation it should, of all of your thoughts. It should be the filter. Listen, it should be the filter through which every one of your thoughts, positive and negative, come running through. Like, have you been around people like that? I don't mean like in some hokey, like everything is hyper-spiritual. No, I mean like they literally live in the understanding of God's love and positivity. It doesn't mean they don't struggle, but man, they, they literally live in this place of God's goodness because they know it and it exudes from them. It shall be on your heart. As an influencer, our minds must be filled with the words of Jesus, words of life, words of faith, words of compassion, words of justice. Verse 7 goes on and says, You shall teach them diligently to your children. Like, I love this. This was my takeaway. If you've been sleeping, just wake up for this part and you can fall back asleep. The phrase says, to teach them diligently. It's an important one in the Hebrews that literally means to prick them in. So to literally prick them in the heart. This is chapter 6. In chapter 5, Moses literally took stone and pricked the Ten Commandments into stone so they would never be forgotten. And now the writer's coming and saying, just as the Ten Commandments were pricked or etched into stone, you were to, to prick or to etch these commands into your heart so that they are in you as a tattoo that will never be forgotten. We are to prick them into our hearts. Why? Because it says, so that we can prick them into the heart of our children. We can prick them into the heart of our children, right? Here the writer speaks to the responsibility we have to teach. To the responsibility we have to influence our children, honestly, to influence everyone around us. We can apply it to every relationship that we're in with spouse, with children, with our neighbors, and with the person that publics in line. That we have the word of God so pricked into our heart that it is etched there. And we can always draw upon it. Our lives must express the truth of God's word so it influences others towards Jesus. But again, before we teach something, we must, this is important. Like you have to know what you believe about Jesus. Jesus. 
You know the great tragedy of youth and young adults? It's that the only way that they know how to talk about Jesus is in the way, a lot of times, not our youth, but a lot of times they say, well, my pastor or Timothy said. And then I get with adults. And you know what? It's the same tragedy. There's no difference. They come and say, well, my pastor said. And I'm like, but do you know why you believe what you believe? Is it etched into your heart? Because I know it's etched into your pastor's heart, it sounds like. Do you not know why you believe what you believe? Do you know what you believe? Is it so in you, pricked into your heart, the Shema, the Lordship of Jesus, right? The filter for everything that when you speak, it's not what somebody else told you to believe, but it's because of what you believe in the context of your relationship with Jesus. Because it's so life-giving, it's so moving, it is so changing of who you are that you don't live in criticism and negativity because God's goodness and the reality of the cross and the life that comes from it and the fruit of his spirit now present in us. Oh my gosh, he's so good and I love him and he's for me, not against me. And I know he's with me and I just want to influence everyone I'm around and tell them their life has makes a difference because if they will just simply step into the calling God has, they can change the world. Is it pricked into your heart? Is it pricked into our heart? Do we believe it? Do we know it? Or do we just believe what somebody told us to believe? If you cannot share your faith confidently, that's a great place to start. Learn about your faith. What I believe about Jesus, how do I share the good news with other people? It can't be disconnected. Your relationship with Jesus, it can't be distant or disconnected from our reality. But instead, our words and our actions must line up. We must know why we believe what we believe. So we go on here. It says the teaching diligently to your children. The naming of children here, well, it's a beautiful piece. We already named it, right? Children, or whether it's our children or those that we're in relationship with around here at Vintage or in the context of our life. The reason for this emphasis here is that in Deuteronomy, it's always aimed at the next generation. Everything that they're teaching, everything that's being laid out is for the next generation, right? It, it takes the present generation, reminds them of their call, slash need to invest truth into the next generation. The children are now the ones, are now the ones before whom all choices are laid. And someday their children will be called upon to pass along this information. The idea is that we have to be able to pass on faith to our children. Why? Because they have to pass it on to their children. Pass it on to their children, right? The nature of teaching, the nature of the Shema's that we are always, for ourselves, owning our own relationship. Why? Because our children need to not just hear us talk about Jesus, but model Jesus for them so that when they get into situations of walking through hell, they know how to engage the lordship of Jesus, positivity and affirmation, because they know through your teaching that God God is for them, that he loves them because he saw God be for you and to love you and you expressed it to them. That's the idea of the Shema. We're always passing it. We're always influencing. We're always raising up and leading the next generation. Just press pause. No condemnation. What are you leading your children to? Are you leading them to be great golfers? Are you leading them to be great criticizers? Are you leading them to be really selfish? Or are you leading them to death of self? 
love of Jesus, the Shema of God's lordship and the filter of positivity and affirmation because that's just who God is. Like there's no condemnation. I'm saying this is your inheritance. This belongs to you. It's like if I had a big unwrapped gift right here that of God's positivity and affirmation, his influence, right? The Shema say, guys, here, happy birthday or whatever day it is, right? I mean, like here, God wants to move and awaken this reality because he wants us to be able to pass on to every generation so that the next generation can then pass it on. And then verse 7, and I'm done. This is super simple. It says, and they shall talk of them when it says, yes, they shall talk of the commands when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. I'm sure Hebrew theologians could break that down into 16 pages. But the most simple, clear, and concise to understand this verse is the most obvious. We are to speak about it all at all times, no matter where we are. That's what it's saying, right? If we talk about it at home, Boom. We talk about it when we're going from point A to point B. They used to walk places. Now we drive. So with your children, the earbuds are out and you're talking about the Shema. When you put your children down at night, you talk about the love of Jesus. You don't have to literally go quote the Shema and make them learn it right to be good Christians. No, like you're expressing the Shema positivity and affirmation in the context of your Shema. My, my, Annika was not here this morning, so I'll tell a story. If she were here, I wouldn't tell it. Don't tell us all the story. But literally, it was, she was having a rough month, right? She was just having a rough month and things at school because she's in junior high and every junior high kid, middle schooler thinks nobody likes them. And she was in that moment, right? And so I was praying for her one day. Everybody hear this. This is like God spoke in the moment. So listen to God's words. So I'm sitting in the moment and I'm like, God, I'm overwhelmed for her because I love her, but I can't do anything. And so I'm like, Jesus, I don't know what to do. She's overwhelmed. Help me, God. What is the word that you want to speak into her? And I felt like God says, I'm clear as I'm talking to you, let her know that she is wanted by me and that she is wanted by you. And I'm like, I got this. So she got home, we went to the room, and I sat her down. We may have been driving, but I can't remember. Actually, I think we went to get ice cream. It's more fun to have affirmation with ice cream in hand, right? So we're driving. I look at her, and I say, can I tell you something, babe? She's like, yes, I know it's been a hard month. She's like, it's been a hard year. I was like, I get it, right? And I said, I was praying for you today, and I felt like God spoke. And I love that she goes, what did he say, (laughs) right? What did he say? I said, it was a real clear word, babe. God wanted you to know that in the context of your life where you don't feel wanted, that he wants you. But he also wanted me to tell you that I want you. And I want you around all the time. And there's never a time that I don't want you with me. I I said, I don't care if I'm frustrated. I still want you with me. I want you present because you're my daughter And you please me, and I just love you. And we ate some ice cream, right? And she's like, thanks, Dad. Fast forward. We do affirmation at birthdays. So whoever's birthday it is in our house, everyone goes around the table, and they affirm the person whose birthday it was. It just happened to be my birthday, right? 
And so it was time for me to be affirmed. And we had made, we made dinner, and we're sitting there, and Anna Catherine starts to speak. And I want you dads and moms to hear this. It was her turn. And she goes, all right. And Randall goes, all right, what do you say about dad? And she just starts to weep. And she says, I go to school and people reject me, but I know my dad at home wants me. And so that is not too heavy for me because I know I'm always wanted by him and he loves me and he always wants me with him. And she is weeping as she's saying it. And I'm weeping as she's saying it. And I recognize in the moment, man, we talked about it in our house. We had, we chose affirmation. I let her know how I felt. I fought for it. I believed it. I told her how God felt. And she grabbed hold of it. And in the moments of not feeling love in the moments that we all had she did not feel accepted she knew that I did I know I'm imperfect but it meant a big deal to me that she knew that I always wanted her and she had a buoy in the middle of trying to drown the midst of middle school and she had a buoy of positivity and affirmation knowing I did not criticize her and in the moments of difficulty I was for her My prayer is that she continues to live in the knowledge of that, of Jesus, even more so than me. But do you know that? Because you have to know that before you can tell your children. I'll be honest. By God's grace, I live in that affirmation. I have my moments like all of you. But I have had such a death to all sorts of things that God's awakened his love for me that for the most part, with moments of weakness, I stri- I, that there's this reality of his love and his affirmation and confidence for me. And that changes everything. So, embrace the Shema. Intentionally choose all day long him. His positivity, his affirmation, his love for you, his affection, his wanting of you. And then everywhere that you go and every primary priority relationship that you're in, start with your spouse, go secondarily. Listen, tell Jesus. Make sure Jesus knows. Make sure that you said that you want him in your life. It starts there. Affirm your relationship. That's what we worship. Worship is simply another word of positivity and affirmation of our love for Jesus. Start there. Go to your spouse. Go to your children. Hey, youth, tell your parents. Tell your parents. Your parents don't think you want them in their in your life, and you may not really ultimately want them there always. I get it. But you still move to that place where you affirm no negativity, no criticism of your parents and lead them to that place. Let me say this to you. If your parents are terrible at it and they never affirm you and they never tell you, you know better. And you do it. And you go positively with them. And you affirm them. And you love them. And let them learn from you. You are old enough. And responsible enough, right? And lead the charge. And lead the charge for this group. Lead the charge for 
Every single person in this room, may we be known as a youth group of positivity and affirmation because everywhere that we go, we influence. That's who you're called to be. Shema, embrace it. Lead. Listen, be like Jesus. Positivity, affirmation, expressing love everywhere that you go. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your presence. Lord, I saw I got a little passionate in that. I pray, Father, that people would know. I believe that's how passionate you are for them. I pray that passion would just flow into their knowledge and their emotions of understanding your love for them. And we pray, Father, in the context of our family resolutions, positivity, being positive, Lord, affirmation, and being influencers, that we would recognize the call that you have on our life and the ability that you have to overflow and empower us to teach and to lead and to influence others. And I pray, Father, they would start with our understanding of our having our own hearts pricked by the message of the Shema that here, O vintage, the Lord our God, the Lord of our life, He is one and there's no other God because they all bow down because He is our God. He is our Lord. He is in love with us. He is our Savior. He is our Redeemer. He is our lover. He is our husband spiritually and that he is for us and he's come to flood us so that we can be awakened to our knowledge of Jesus so that we can then influence others and prick other hearts and lead them and influence and teach them God would you help us today to make this family resolution I just feel compelled Lord just to pray for the rainwaters who are going and to a new setting and a new church. And Lord, I pray that in Bubba's own language of leading and guiding, I pray, God, that's just a blessing upon him. That, God, he would be one who could prick the heart because of having his own heart pricked by the love of Jesus like it has been. And I pray, Father, for renewal in their church. I pray for spiritual breakthrough. I pray, Father God, that salvation would flow and the good news of Jesus would be trumpeted there to change their community in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to encourage you now. So, we're, this is, so if you're new to Vintage, we have a time of ministry, a time of prayer. A couple of things happen. We have ministry teams. They're invisible, but they're coming. And so they want, all they want to do is pray for you about anything. If you want prayer about your marriage, you want prayer about your children, if you want to have have prayer about having your heart pricked by the truth of God's message, then if you want this prayer this morning for healing and restoration, if you want prayer this morning simply in the, in the context of just anything going on with your life, with your work, with your parents, with friends, whatever it may be, I want to pray for any of those things. Communion is available every Sunday. And we t- do it as a reminder to have our heart pricked by the love of Jesus by the empty cross that he came he died he resurrected then he sent his spirit so we would never be left alone it's good news these are our offering baskets we have an offering box right there and a giving kiosk outside why do we do offering at the end of service in the context of worship because that's why we give an act of worship 
And God instituted the tithe and the offering, listen, because he never wanted money to be the idol of your heart. You never live in fear of it. You never live with anxiety because of it. You never live bound by it. So he says, I institute tithes and offerings so that you can bring to me what I gave you to show that it has no control of your life because you come joyfully saying, God, here I am and here's what I have. And so this morning, that's where you are and you realize, my gosh, that's maybe one of the idols in my life, one of the other gods influencing me. And that's why we have this. And we want you to give as an act of obedience to come and worship before the Lord. So you respond as the Lord leads. This is how it works. We're going to sing a song or two. And if you need to go in the midst of that, you can. But I'm going to come back up after that and pray us out. But I want you to take time to respond and to reflect and to be with Jesus, okay?